sent as God's messengers with a certain announcement, a certain message for um, a person or a group of people that they come to. So we're going to narrow it down in these three weeks to three specific instances uh, where we're going to look at these messengers who are sent with a message. So we're going to look this morning at the messenger to Mary, and then next week will be the messenger to Joseph, and then the week after will be the messenger to the shepherds, kind of in the culmination of Christ's birth. Like I said, we could go even further than that. There's other people that receive uh, messages in the midst of this. Um, We'll touch on a little bit today. We know Mary's relationship with Elizabeth, and she receives a message, and Zechariah, and all of that, but we're not going to be able to touch all of those um, this season. Maybe that'll be for another year, but at least for this year, we're going to cover the three kind of main instances of these messengers of Christmas. So let's go ahead and pray as we begin this morning. Father, we ask that your spirit would be in us this morning, that he would give us illumination to your word. He would give us understanding and help us to take this very familiar Christmas passage and give us fresh eyes to see it in a way that we can take truth from it that applies to our hearts and our lives as we, as we celebrate this Christmas season this year. May we not... Be content to just go through the normal routine of hearing the same passages and not taking anything away from them. But may may our hearts and minds be renewed by your word this morning. It doesn't mean we have to gain some sort of new truth that's never been discovered before, but maybe an old truth that our hearts need to be revived by. So help us this morning to have our hearts ready to hear your word. And by your word, may your spirit work in us, and may you make yourself known to us. And may we see with more clarity who you are in this message announced by this angel. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple weeks ago, we decided to introduce our kids to the, the old school movie, Little Women. Right? They came out with a newer version recently, but we decided to let them watch the, the older version. And we've watched movies or shows that portray this time period before, but we like to remind our children that there was a time in history where many people might call the simple life, right? And as I was watching, it was a reminder of how long it took these people to communicate with each other, right? I mean, I remember life before the internet, right? But this movie was a reminder that it was weeks or months, right, it took to receive a letter from someone. Now, some of you in here remember writing letters. I remember even writing letters at some point in my own life. But remember that anticipation of every day wondering if you were going to finally receive a response from the person that you had sent that to. Well, take that and expand it. Put yourself in the scenario of Israel as we enter into the beginning of the New Testament, right? As we start this Advent series of Christ's birth, Israel has been waiting for 400 years for God to give them a response, 
And all of a sudden, these angels, these messengers, begin to show up announcing different news to different people. After all that waiting, the ball seems to start to roll again. God is beginning to speak through the mouths of these angels to particular people at particular points in time. And this is what we're going to focus in on this series. Three specific moments with a specific message. So this morning we will look at Gabriel appearing to Mary with this life-changing message. He's the messenger of grace. So let's go ahead and read our passage for today. It's in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So the angel begins his message with expressing grace to Mary. But before jumping too much into that, just imagine the context, though, within which Mary is receiving this message. As I said already, it's been 400 years since the last prophet spoke to Israel on behalf of God. 400 years. Imagine the generations that have already come and gone without ever having a word from the Lord. Generations of families gone without ever hearing God speak to them. All they're clinging to is the promises they've been given in the Old Testament, hoping one day those promises are actually going to come to fruition. Promises made in the covenants that God made with their fathers. Promises of a future in the midst of these dark days that they had during the prophets. But since those days, they've seen themselves governed by others. By Assyria, by Babylon, Persia, Greece, now Rome, seems like nothing but darkness, hopelessness, 
just waiting to see, is God ever going to speak again? They've known nothing but oppression by Rome and even by their own religious leaders, as we've seen studying the Gospel of John. And their last encounters with God, with the prophets, were consumed by their own sin. So they have to be wondering over these 400 years, are we still under God's judgment? Even though we've been allowed to return to Jerusalem and rebuild our temple to some extent, we're still reigned, governed by other nations. Are we still in some sense of exile here? That's certainly how they must be feeling. And it's with this backdrop of their failure, of their despair, that an angel appears to a young woman in Nazareth. This small, dirty town, which we've already seen from other parts of the Gospels, nobody thinks anything good can come out of Nazareth. And this girl is a virgin, not even married yet. Easily could have been a teenager in this culture. And the angel enters speaking a message of grace to her. Notice what he says in verse 28. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. So he calls her favored one. Now that to us automatically starts to conjure up some thoughts of, well, Mary must have been doing something righteous, right? You earn someone's favor towards you. That's what we tend to think of, but she hasn't. In fact, the word favored here is actually connected to the same word we translate throughout the rest of the New Testament as grace. And so it's not that Mary's earned some sort of favor, it's that God is extending his grace to Mary. God has chosen to be gracious towards her. In fact, just a couple of verses later, when the word favor is used, it's the same word we always translate as grace throughout the New Testament. So this isn't that Mary is some overly righteous, perfectly holy woman in the few years that she's had so far in this world. No, she's a peasant girl. No better than anyone else. But God comes to her and gives her grace. This grace is described in this moment by the angel saying, The Lord is with you. Consider that for a moment. The Lord, who has been silent for 400 years, is now being announced as being with this young virgin girl in Nazareth. If this is true, it could only be an act of God's grace. This angel comes to Mary saying, God is not silent anymore. God is not absent. No, God, the Lord, is with you. And he has good news of what's about to happen to you. Now this is certainly confusing to Mary, isn't it? Why would the Lord be with her? Why is she the one receiving this favor, this grace, right? Verse 29 tells us she was greatly troubled, trying to discern what kind of greeting is it? What is this that's being announced to me here? But the angel responds with those wonderful words. And we actually see 
these words in all three announcements of the angels that we're going to look at in this Advent series. See them in verse 30. Do not be afraid. There's no need to be suspicious, Mary. There's no need to doubt the message that I'm bringing to you. There's no need to fear what's about to happen to you. Why? He answers it then. Because you have found favor with God. Again, not you've earned favor with God, but God is extending his grace to you, Mary. Do you see the link here? The basis for Mary's assurance, the call from the angel for her to not be afraid, is the fact that she has this promise, this confidence that God is giving her grace. While some people in life attempt to calm their fears by distracting themselves, by sitting down and talking to someone, or just by sheer willpower of trying to overcome fear, the angel makes it clear here to Mary that her fear is only going to be calmed by the promise of God's grace to her. God has chosen her for this task. Not because she is so great, but because it simply pleased God to choose her to give his grace to. So in choosing her, he comes to her, right? Gabriel tells her, the Lord is with you. God's grace to her is displayed by God's presence with her. The fact that God is not absent now is proof that God is displaying his grace. And it's not some ghostly presence either, right? It's not some lofty, invisible presence of just saying, well, the Lord is with you. No, as the angel continues, we find in his message that God's grace is about to make a truly physical appearance in what's about to happen to Mary. The grace that is given to Mary is in God choosing her to conceive a baby, while she's still a virgin. This grace to Mary and this grace that ultimately reaches to the rest of the world is grace in Jesus Christ. Immediately after telling Mary that she has found favor with God, that she has received God's grace, Gabriel tells her in verse 31, you are going to conceive a son. The, this is the act of grace Mary is about to experience. That she's going to be pregnant with a son without ever having relationship with a man. Now that seems quite unusual when you consider grace as we often think of it. We hear grace, right? And we often get these cheery, feel-good sentiments in our hearts. But when's the last time that you walked into a Christian bookstore and you saw God's grace linked with a teenage pregnancy? We throw the term God's grace around flippantly, but we rarely would say that this teenage virgin getting pregnant is an act of God's grace, at least according to our worldly standards of things. But that's exactly what's being described here. Mary is going to have a son and will call him Jesus. Now, most of you know that that name means salvation or the Lord is salvation, but none of that's mentioned in this passage. So that's not the emphasis being made here. Actually, we'll get to that next week when we cover the message to Joseph. 
But Gabriel goes on to explain some distinctive truths about this Jesus, about this son that Mary is going to conceive. I want to split what we find in the next two verses, verse 32 and thir- verses 32 and 33. I want to split them up into two distinct truths regarding how we see grace in Jesus Christ. First, we see grace in the God-man. Right? So look at verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So Jesus, as this Son that Mary's going to conceive, is going to be called great, and he's going to be called the Son of the Most High. Now, to us, these may look like just minor sort of titles, right? That Okay, yeah, he's great. He's a pretty cool guy, and he's the Son of the Most High. Okay, so somehow he's linked to, he's come from God in some sense, but that's about it, right? Just at surface level, these seem like minor titles, But we must compare this announcement with also what we've already seen with another birth that we're told about in Luke, which is the birth of John the Baptist. Look at how his birth is described back in chapter 1, verse 15. For he will be great before the Lord. So there's a limitation on the greatness of John the Baptist. He will be great, but he will be great before the Lord. It's in regard to his task that God is giving John the Baptist, right? The one to prepare the way before Jesus. Before the Lord's eyes, John the Baptist will be called great. But when we now jump back to Jesus, right? No, he's just called great. That's it. There's no limitations to it. Or also, if you look at Verse 76 of chapter 1, after John is born and Zechariah gives this prophecy, listen to how he describes him. Verse 76, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. John is a prophet. Jesus, though, is what? The son of the Most High. It's abundantly clear here that this baby Mary is about to conceive is not just another prophet from God. He is equal to God. In fact, as the Trinity works together in this situation, the Son of God is coming in the flesh. So that's the first part of this. Grace in the God-man. First, the Son Mary is about to conceive is God. But then in verse 32, we find that not only is he the Son of the Most High, But what else? He will receive the throne of his father, David. And if you were paying attention earlier in the passage, what did we find out about Joseph? That he was a descendant of David. So this baby will be the son of God and the son of David, which clearly displays some sort of human lineage here. Right? And verse 33 confirms this with the mention of he will reign over the house of Jacob. Right? Another father, another human being in the lineage tracing all the way back to Abraham. So this child that Mary is going to conceive is going to be God and he's going to be man. One person, truly divine, truly human. Something this world had never seen. Something we have never seen again. God in the flesh. 
when they saw it, would say, Emmanuel, this hope of God being with us. Now all of a sudden this takes on a whole other element, doesn't it? Literally, physically, God with us. The God-man. So that's one aspect of the grace that we see in this son about to be conceived. But then we also see grace in the birth of the king. So while the mention of David certainly proves that Christ has a human nature, it also has all sorts of Old Testament fingerprints on it. This isn't just some random connection to King David because, well, David was the best king Israel had, so if we're going to link this coming king to him in some sense, oh, well, we'll just link him back to David. No, no, no. It's not just some random connection here. It goes much deeper into what was promised to David when he was king. Look back at 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, in one sense, God is making a promise about David's direct offspring, Solomon, right? Solomon is the one who's going to build the temple. And also, clearly, he says when he commits iniquity, when he sins, right, that's Solomon. He's not talking about Jesus there. But in another very real sense, this passage is filled with eternal language. Establish the throne of his kingdom forever. His house and his kingdom made sure forever, a throne established forever. This begins at this moment in time even, this this exciting expectation for Israel throughout the whole Old Testament. A king that's going to come through David's lineage who will sit on the throne forever. A kingdom that never ends. Can you imagine such a thing? Now, none of us want that to be the president of the United States, no matter which era we've lived in, right? We don't want that kingdom to go on forever. But there was this very true hope and expectation that the king to come through David's line would be a king to go on forever. And it would be a wonderful kingdom. In fact, in the midst of the dark prophecies, in the midst of Israel's potential destruction and we find out future destruction that actually happens by Assyria Isaiah offers hope passage we already read Isaiah chapter 9 starting in verse 6 for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. A child who is called Mighty God, the government on his shoulder. There will be no end to his government. And oh, on the throne of David and over that kingdom will go on forevermore. Israel clung on to this promise. A day when the king from David's line would arrive to inaugurate the kingdom that never ends. And that's exactly what we find in the angel's message to Mary. Verse 32. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus will have the throne. Jesus will reign forever. Jesus will have a kingdom that has no end. In the midst of this dark situation, grace is given to Mary and Jesus, but it's a grace that will expand to all of Israel and eventually to all nations. The conception of Jesus ushers in a kingdom unlike any kingdom we've ever seen before and ushers in a kingdom that will have no end to it. But Mary's still unsure about this. After all, she is still a virgin. So in verse 34, she asks, How is this going to happen if I've never been with a man? And it's here that we find grace by the Spirit. This conception is not only going to produce a -a one-of-a-kind God-man, king of a never-ending kingdom, but it's going to come to pass by a means never seen before. The angel explains in verse 35, the Holy Spirit is going to come over Mary. And as he does, the power of the Most High is going to overshadow her. The power of God himself in the Spirit is going to overshadow her. This conception is going to miraculously happen by the Holy Spirit coming over Mary. And as a result, the child conceived will be called Holy a word deeply connected to Yahweh throughout the whole Old Testament. Thus, he will be called Son of God. Not lesser than God, but the second person of the Trinity, the Son himself, who we know is God. What we find here is that the grace that Mary is promised to receive, the grace of conceiving the God-man, is going to be accomplished by the Holy Spirit himself coming over her. Right? Gabriel goes on to give evidence that the Holy Spirit's already on the move. Right? Your relative Elizabeth, who was called barren, is already in the sixth month of her pregnancy. 
The Spirit of God is already starting to move. He has opened a closed womb. Now he's going to cause a virgin to conceive the Son of God himself. So what we see here is all three members of the Trinity are at work in the Christmas story. The Father sends the Son. The Son actually comes. And all of it is done by the means of the Holy Spirit coming over her. But this is a helpful reminder for us that we often want to put the Holy Spirit within this category of he is just the Father and Son's means of accomplishing things. But the Holy Spirit himself is a gift. It's not that just he just passes on the gift of the Son, but the Holy Spirit himself is a gift of grace. While here we see that the Spirit is the one giving the conception of Jesus, as we continue in the Gospel of Luke, we're not going to look at all of it, but as we go through the first few chapters of the Gospel of Luke, it's clear that the Holy Spirit is a gift given even to Jesus himself. Jesus is baptized and the spirit descends upon him jesus reads in the tabernacle that the spirit of the lord is upon him we're told in multiple gospels that as jesus does these miracles and these healings and these exorcisms he's doing it by the spirit who has come over him and then we get into luke's second volume right the book of acts and we see the spirit as the gift to all believers empowering each and every one of us to live the lives that God has called us to live in the gospel of Jesus. So let's not lose the honor of the Spirit here. He's not just the means of accomplishing certain things. He himself is a gift of grace. But back to our passage, notice the confidence given in the promise of the coming of the Spirit over Mary. He gives the evidence in Elizabeth. But then in verse 37, this verse many of us know and love, right? But let's take it in its context. For nothing will be impossible with God. What seemed to be a hopeless situation for Mary and for Israel is made hopeful. What was once despair is able to be turned to joy. What appeared to be darkness is overtaken by the light. It seemed impossible that Israel was ever going to be saved from their oppressors. It seemed impossible that Elizabeth would ever be able to have a child. It seemed impossible that Mary, as a virgin, would conceive any child, let alone the Son of God himself. But with God, Father, Son, Spirit, all working, all things are possible. He lights up the darkness. He opens up the wounds, and he will save the world by sending his son to inaugurate an eternal kingdom. Amen? And notice at the very end here Mary's response, a response of trusting God's grace. All that has been announced thus far by the angel is God's grace. Grace to choose Mary, grace to send his son, the God-man, Grace to have him set up a reign forever. Grace to give the spirit for Mary to be able to conceive Jesus. All of it is grace. And Mary's response is to trust this grace in verse 38. First, it's a response of humility. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. She doesn't think she deserves this grace. 
but she's willing to walk in the grace that the Lord has given her. She is willing to submit herself to whatever the Lord gives her, so she trusts his word. She says, let it be done to me according to your word. She trusts the very word, the announcement, the message of grace that has been spoken to her. And my friends, I want each of us to respond to God's grace in the same way that Mary did. There is grace for you. We must trust in the grace that God has given us. And I don't say this by any means in a cliche way like you see on the coffee mug at the Christian bookstore. I try to use the word grace with as much seriousness as I can. God has a message of grace for you this morning. It's found in the entirety of the word, the message he has given to us. Every single letter in your Bible has been written as an act of God's grace towards you. He could have never promised a future king. He could have never promised a kingdom that would go on forever. He could have never sent an angel to Mary, never had her conceive of Jesus. In the same way, God could have never had his word written down for us. We could all be wandering around with nothing, no hope of what it means to understand who God is and how he wants us to respond to him. But by his grace, he gave us a message. The question is whether, are you, whether you are going to trust the message of grace. You see, because each one of us in this room can relate to the darkness that Israel and Mary was experiencing. Look around at our world right now, right? Look at the divisiveness that exists. Look at the country of the United States and the hate that exists between people. Or maybe it's a bit more personal. Maybe you feel hopeless in your marriage or your parenting or with a friendship you're trying to patch up with someone. Maybe you're in deep despair about something you're struggling with that nobody else knows about. You might feel like you're in some sort of judgment stage of life with God. You feel like you just can't get past whatever hardship you find yourself in. Let me promise you this morning, my friends, the same word of grace that Mary received. God is not absent. While it may seem like the darkness is winning, it may seem like things are hopeless, Remember this, after 400 years of silence, Mary is awakened to the reality that the Lord is with her. Not because she is so wonderful, but by his grace and his grace alone. And in his grace, the Lord sends his son, Jesus, to be conceived by this virgin to be born surrounded by animals, to grow up and live a perfect life, to ultimately die on a cross, to take on your sin if you trust in him, to be resurrected three days later, that you also might have your soul brought back from the dead. And when you trust in the Son of God, you receive the Holy Spirit 
who dwells in you for the rest of your life. The same spirit that made Mary conceive of the God-man now lives within you, able to make your heart birth all the fruit that you thought was impossible for you to produce. For nothing is impossible with God. The Christmas message of grace that Mary received at the beginning of Jesus' life is the same message of grace you and I received 2,000 years after Jesus' life. God is present. The Son has come to save you. And the Son has set up a kingdom that he will reign. He's reigning now and will reign forever. And if you trust in him, the Spirit will come over you, making all things possible. This is the message of grace. Will you believe the word that's been given to you? Will you commit yourself to be a servant of the Lord according to whatever his word says? Will you ultimately trust the message of grace today? Let's pray. Father, help us to further grasp the reality that not a single one of us deserves you to be present with us, deserves your Son to save us, and to bring us into his kingdom that goes on forever. We don't deserve your spirit to live in us and empower us to live the way that you call us to live. But that is the message and the beauty of your grace. So help us this morning to trust your grace. To know that whatever our situation may seem like, that you are not absent and you are not silent. That you have sent your son to save us, to adopt us into your family and into your kingdom, that he reigns now and he will always reign. Help us to trust your spirit that you give us. May we rely on him, depend on him each and every moment of every day, knowing we can never live in a pleasing way to you apart from him dwelling in us. Help us to see your grace, love your grace, and trust your grace this morning and this Christmas season. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.